you're listening to Between Two Ravens, a Norse mythology podcast with Sean and David. Hey, Sean. How's it going? David, it's going great. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, I'm excited for the series, you know, and for us to be recording early in the morning. It used to always be real early in the morning, uh, season one, where I'd be doing my research, reading the poems, drinking my espresso, coming up with weird theories about uh, Norse mythology. So it'll probably be a, a weird day today, me and my espresso. Yeah, I definitely feel like I'm more there in the morning, like after I've had a cup of coffee or two, yeah. more so than I uh, must recording after work, where I'm like just annoyed at work and then like right. scarfing down dinner really quick and then recording um late at night so i appreciate oh, yeah. these morning sessions as well no, maybe that's our new maybe that's our new thing yeah 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 for sure um so you mentioned that you uh had a celebration for saint patty's day went to, went to yeah went to a gathering and uh and i wanted to make sure i set, uh, set on air uh happy uh ostera to all the uh the pagan <laughs> followers that that's uh that's coming up now the pagan easter which is in general easter easter's uh well the word i think i did did I talk? Do I do a whole mini episode, or just talked in one you, of our episodes last year about it? You, you, I think you mentioned it. Like, and I actually mentioned Istora yeah. um, in my episode on Cherdic because I was yeah. talking about the just like br- very briefly some of the Anglo-Saxon gods and how similar they are to the Norse gods. Right. Um, but I mentioned that the the Venerable Bede, who was a um, monk in Northumbria, who wrote a lot of what we know of that time period, he mentioned that there was also a god named Astoro, but. It remains to be seen how much like of how much that influenced other religions, like even Christianity, or if B just made up that that goddess. But uh, you know, I think oh, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, it's. I think I think from what I saw that it definitely um, tied into whether they spelled it with a O E or just with an O. But that uh, sort of the goddess of the east of the rising sun for the uh, the sun returning. Yeah, I'm sure it's based on something. Like I don't see why B would just make yeah. it up, but who knows. Um, but yeah, I actually, we had people over for an early St. Patty's Day uh, celebration yeah. on the 11th, actually. Um, so last weekend, and uh, yeah, we, we made Irish coffees, uh, had mimosas, I made Irish breakfast, and I also nice. made corned beef with cabbage. And when I say I did it, like in a successful manner, I, I really mean I did it. And that's not just with the cooking or the drinks, that's with the presentation. Um, we had like this Irish um rock channel playing on pandora yes yeah. i still use pandora but it was a uh, it was a good good session or a good nice. party that really we do need to uh of, of all the uh merchandise we need in our our merch store uh sean's cookbook <laughs> nurse mythology cook cookbook and uh david's drink recipes and well, uh get uh stickers and uh and t-shirts I um I don't know if I told you well I, I know I've mentioned that I used to have a an Instagram account called Sean Cooks Things yeah. um where it was kind of like a joke where I I would only cook things that like a a non cook would want to make that like I think paleo two ingredient meals yeah, yeah like it'd be like oh I put this uh, piece of uh, this piece of beef in the slow cooker and I add salt and pepper and then I cook it for eight hours and then like I would have this like one page where the entire recipe was like three lines at the top. And then I would have like a picture of a cow, like a cartoon cow at the bottom. And I was going to make a cookbook, but I, I didn't, I didn't do that. But maybe I'll, maybe I'll implement something like that. Just based on yeah. the actual Norse myths. Like, we, can start, we can start as a, started as a blog and uh, yeah, we'll it, have goat we milk a, in Valhalla. Yeah. If we can get a book deal. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> and um, then my other announcement was that I'm starting a uh, mindfulness group again with the walled garden. So it'll be Friday mornings. Let's see. What time is it? It depends on your time zone. We'll, we'll put it in the show notes to see what time zone. It's generally for the United States, uh, early, uh, not too early morning on Friday. So if yeah. you uh, kind of got a break, maybe around your lunch break or uh, something like that. And it's 
So I got the first one where I'm really talking about what mindfulness is, and then it'll be just leading a mindfulness. I'm kind of talking about this idea of why mindfulness is relevant for any philosophical journey. It's yeah. an important idea actually in Stoicism, as well as Buddhism, a lot of other traditions. And then there's a Josh Bertolotti who does the uh, In Search of Wisdom podcast. He has a little book club that he does that'll be right after that. So I think that'll be an interesting kind of a tie-in. I, I've been going to his book club at least like every other week. They just have neat quotes from books. We did Victor Frankl, and I forgot the name. Something about it's a a book that evaluates the question of what is love. It's the current book that we're looking at. Nice. And uh, that yeah, that they're free to join. So anybody go over to the Walled Garden site. Sometimes it's a little confusing, like it was for the fireside chat, where it wants you to pay a dollar. You don't have to pay the dollar, but you can too. And, uh, yeah. Awesome. And I know you mentioned uh, merchandise. We don't have any merchandise as of right now, um, but I, I know I, I sh- shared this with you yesterday. Uh, my birthday is coming up on the 28th of March, and we, my sister's birthday is on the 21st of March. Um, we also have another sister, and she actually gave me a gift, which is this T-shirt with our logo on it. Yeah. So we don't actually have T-shirts as merchandise, but I'm wearing a shirt right now that has the, our logo. Yeah, the sample one. Yeah, and if yeah. The, the T-shirts are a major investment, but if let's say if people send us uh, 20 bucks by, we got a donation button. If you send us 20 bucks, I will get the stickers made. That then we'll go harass some bars and ask them if we can sell stickers out of their bar. So yeah. uh, if anybody wants to be the uh, the investors in our sticker scheme. Send us twenty bucks. <laughs> yeah, or like I was thinking, if we actually do merchandise, like the best we're going to be able to do is stickers or magnets. I, I know we don't have that many followers yet. We actually did just hit a thousand on Apple Podcast, uh, which I don't, I didn't share with you. And I think we're oh, yeah. like a well over two thousand on, on Spotify now. But yeah, I do think nice. the next step for our marketing purposes is to just put stickers in like bar bathrooms. You know, like the ones that just like have a bunch of people oh, writing yeah. horrible stuff on the wall. Like we'll just put our our logo up there too. Should come up with some kind of dirty joke of what what a. Something, yeah. something about Sean and David in the bathroom. I'm going to leave that, oh, God. that one alone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll leave that alone. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, and, and then if you're a, if you're a, a Viking themed uh, brewery or bar and you want to be our sponsor, let us know too because we're we'll, we'll send you some stickers to sell in your store. Awesome. Um, so, what do you think, David? Should we get started? Let's get started. <laughs> cool. Um, so, about a month ago, David and I finished our three part series on the events of Ragnarok, the death of gods and everything, along with its aftermath. So now that we finished most of the stories told in the Prosetta and the Poetic Edda, we thought about doing a few episodes on the, I guess, the story arcs of some of the characters in Norse mythology, most of whom died at Ragnarok. Um, so as we started this podcast focusing on episodes that strongly featured the god Odin, the Allfather, David and I thought of starting this with a three-part series on him, like his overall story arc. So this episode, we're going to be t- talking a bit about Odin and his lust for knowledge um, slash wisdom or just overall growth. One in which we think of, and like I personally think that this story arc of him paints Odin as like somebody younger, maybe in their 20s or 30s, um, with most of their life in front of them, or at least with, like, as, as I mentioned with my headcanon, he is. Um, so in part two, we're going to be discussing Odin as the antagonizer who sees the world as a game and his potential plaything. Um, so we think about him taunting Thor um, for fun in Harbard's Lod, his wife Frigg and him interfering in the lives of mortals in Grimness Mall. Um, and as we're going to see um, Odin playing a part in the um, family of the Volsungs once we start that series. And so maybe by this point, um, becoming powerfully imbued with wisdom he initially saw it, uh, meaning maybe this is like after, if this if there was like a timeline of Norse mythology, maybe Odin just looking at the world 
as his like plaything is after he got most of the knowledge that he wanted and like became as powerful as he potentially wanted. Um, so in part three, we're going to talk about Odin and death. Um, and what I personally think is his existential crisis as he knows um, of his own future death at Ragnarok. Um, and we're also going to talk a little bit about his desire to stop it at all costs, even though he knows that this quest um, of his will fail. That part, as you're saying, right, it feels like it's young Odin in this part one. And there's nothing that says that exactly, right? But I, I completely agree. And just, it would it really fits with that idea of Odin and the hero's journey, right? That the hero is not a mature man, but is learning how to be, you know, a full, full grown um, man. And then that part two, a little bit of Odin as the father when he's the, the, uh, as I think I said, we're kind of a little bit the trickster father who's somehow uh, trying to teach Thor some lessons, right? And then we have Odin, the wise old man, who is now realizing he's, you know, part of life is learning how to live your life. And then you get to a certain point and it's learning how to die well. And uh, yeah. like bringing some stuff on stoicism and uh, memento mori to, to meditate on your death and why that's a good idea when we get there. So. Yeah, no, and I used to, I, I know when I was like seeing a therapist and like I had my own existential crisis, like I, I did read a lot about what was called death meditations, yeah. um, which I, I'm not sure if it's exactly what you're um, referring to, but just kind of like the idea of like while you're meditating, picture yourself like on your deathbed where you try to like tell yourself like yeah. there's nothing after this and just like how do you feel like what does that yeah. Like once you're done, like what are your thoughts? Like what is your priority? But again, we'll get into that, and I'm sure that's more of a topic that you, you speak to. But that's why, like I think, uh, with Odin's journey and why I think he's the most interesting god, he he clearly has this. He he lives his life that ends in a lot of regret, as we see in Havamal, which I would imagine every human kind of has. Um, and like every human may start in the early teens, um, where they see the li- like they see life like most of their life in front of them. And we see Odin, you know, trying to get this meat of poetry and seducing this giantess to do so. So he's having some fun while just like getting this, this, uh, this poet, this, uh, meat of poetry. And like, I think it's like a very interesting story arc. Again, Norse mythology does not have really a set timeline. It has like a beginning and an end and you can assume everything else is in the middle. But like, I kind of look at these future episodes that we're going to do as like a, um, like story arcs. You know, what obstacles did these gods overcome? What was the result of it? Like looking back on their lives after their deaths, like what can we say about them? So I think it's, I think it's cool that we're starting with Odin here. Yeah. It's something I was going to say more at the end, but it fits with what you're saying right now. The idea that to me, it is a question. Did Odin do all of these things or are these all the different versions of how he came to wisdom, right? Did he actually have to go through all of these different journeys or was it just different people wrote what was kind of the same story? at different times and, you know, had certain different inspirations of how was it that Odin went about getting his wisdom. But I kind of like the idea that he really had to go on a lot of different quests. And uh, so, yeah. And before we get into the, uh, the start of this episode, I know David, um, if we can swing this, um, I think these, this three part series on Odin, we are going to try to do in consecutive weeks. I know this year we've kind of uh, taken a step back and we've done an episode like every other week, but um, I think uh, for the next three weeks, just so this does, this whole series doesn't like last until, you know, October, um, oh, like yeah. of us doing all the gods. I think nope. um, when and we do parts, we should kind of do them in consecutive weeks. Yeah. Especially with these uh, early morning ones, they're working, working for yeah. us. So yeah. And in the meantime, I still might do some midweek episodes or, um, you know, on different um, figures like historical or mythological figures. Like I, I did one on Chertik of Wessex. Um, I, I'm working on one on uh, Penda, the last pagan king of Mercia. I definitely want to do one on Rollo um, who yeah. features in the show Vikings and, 
he is like the uh, ancestor of um, William the Conqueror who conquered England in 1066. So yeah. I'm going to do like a lot of cool stuff like that in between as well. Some, especially actually learning about the historical Rollo, really an interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I never used to be that into history, but that's one of those stories I, I've really enjoyed. Yeah. Um, so anyway, we'll get started with part one. Um, the first uh, story that we're going to mention, and again, this this episode is going to be on like uh, what I think of Odin's like younger years um, when he is ultimately going. He's like stopping at nothing to find the knowledge to learn everything, or like maybe the wisdom. But ultimately, he's focusing on his personal growth. Um, so the first story that we're going to briefly mention is like Odin's birth and the creation of the universe as told in Gilfaganine chapters uh, 6 through 9. So Buri was licked out of the primordial ice by Athumla, the primordial cow. He was the first of the Aesir. His son was Bor, who was married to a giantess named Besla. They gave birth to Odin, Vili, and Vey. Odin and his brothers then kill the primordial giant, Ymir, and then they use his corpse to create the cosmos. They also created the first humans from pieces of driftwood, excuse me, driftwood, Ask and Embla. So I know we've briefly discussed, like, why would they decide to kill Ymir um, when he was, like, already creating this world of giants, but they probably knew that it needed to be done to create something greater, or maybe that was just him wanting to create life in his image. Um, it's- so, yeah. Interesting as I'm reading some psychoanalytic stuff now, I think it is a, a Kohut's theory talks about how do I want to describe this shortly, but basically that you, you know, as, as a person's developing, I don't know if anyone's familiar with the Oedipus complex, it's Freud's idea that everybody thinks sounds weird that uh, he says that in every, every man or every boy, they want to marry their mother and kill their father, but they're afraid that their father's going to, if they try to, that their father's going to castrate them. So that's why they don't. And then you're just left with this repressed sexual energy. The, one of my favorite interpretations is that's probably what was going on in Freud's head. I don't know if that's going on in everybody's head, but certainly a fair number of people, maybe. Yeah, maybe um, there's a lot of projection there on his part. Right. And, and, but then that's clearly the person who wrote the story of Oedipus uh, Rex, the uh, the play. was I can't remember the name. I'm awful with things like that. Um, must have had that same dream as Freud, right? But what Kohut says is there's something kind of similar, which is you, you need to learn to identify with the father, right? So that you're... Your, your father's not your enemy and this bad guy who bosses you around, but you're similar to him. But then maybe you also need to learn to surpass him and not just, you know, that his opinion is who you need to be. So this idea, do you need to kill the father, Emir? Yeah, that fits Kohut's theory. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I see that you have a little note here about Balaspa. Yeah, that uh, as, as we're starting with the, you know, we're talking about Odin's journey and the beginning of it, of course, is when Odin's born, right? And uh, that in the later part, it's where he... Volspa, he talks to the seeress and she's explaining to him the story. And you think he would kind of know some of this story. So why is she explaining it to him? But that idea that Odin really seems like he doesn't know his father, right? As we go through these things, he never interacts with his father. You never hear him talk about him much, right? That's a, yeah. a, a thing you would never get until you spend a lot of time diving into the myths and thinking about him too much. But that Odin having to do some of these things and having Mimir as his mentor and things like that. And I think they yeah. often even talk about Odin as, you know, the uh, the son of Bestla, but not referring to him as the son of his father. So there's something there that fits kind of mythologically as well, I would say. Yeah, yeah no, I, I agree. And like I was going to make that note about Mimir, um, which I believe it's in uh, – I also in Bolaspa where they mention that Bestla is like the 
the daughter of Bolthorn. And I think that another source mentions that Mimir is also the son of Bolthorn. So Odin looks at his, looks at Mimir as like this uh, fatherly figure. Yeah, even if like even if like the story in Gilfagni that does mention Mimir doesn't specifically mention that Mimir is Odin's uncle. Um, but you see in different stories that Odin does go to Mimir for counsel. So in, in one other note I wanted to make here just with the creation of everything, because like um, chapter nine of Gilfaganin mentions that Earth is Odin's daughter, but also his wife, and they gave birth to Thor. So we know that Frigg is Odin's wife. So I think that there's like just some symbolism here that like um, Odin created Earth and he was like, you know, the father of Earth in that sense. But maybe also Odin in creating it is like married to the idea of Earth and what it can become. Yeah, I tend to think Snorri got it wrong here. Uh, the other part is that, you know, back at the beginning, there weren't very many of them, so they were all related, right? So even if they were married, uh, that's, that's how it is for the Greek gods, too. They're all siblings, but they're all married to each other, too. But wouldn't the Earth just be a piece of Ymir if all the, the cosmos and the planets and the clouds are made out of pieces of Ymir? Wouldn't yeah. that be? Yeah. So yeah. So which part did which part of Ymir did Odin marry? <laughs> right. <laughs> or like- and that, and that uh, you know, can Odin have multiple wives, right? He's the king of the gods. He, he does what he wants. Yeah. But also, yeah, like which oh god, like so, which part, like physical part of Ymir's body did yeah. Odin use to create Thor? I remember, yeah, I remember his brains with? or the clouds. Something yeah. about his or his eyebrows, the mountains. I can't remember how they did. No, that. no, his his eyebrow, his eyelashes are like the are what forms like the wall around Midgard. Yeah, we don't so, have to think about it too much. Yeah, we don't have to think about that too much. Um, but anyway, so one last note about Odin and like him deciding to create everything after killing Ymir, the Prosada mentions that his brothers Vili and Vey are the three beings that do this, and then they create humanity. Um, Voluspa in the Poetic Edda mentions that Odin does this with Lodor and Honor. And I just want to mention that up because we also did a, another episode where we talked about whether or not Lodor was Loki. Yeah. And um, I definitely want to explore Honor um, a little bit further at some point. But yeah. in the Poetic Edda, it doesn't actually mention that they are brothers, but I just wanted I, to highlight that. I think that if somebody on, a, on t- uh, Twitter corrected our uh, pronunciation of things, it might actually just be Lod or Loth. So yeah, the yeah. R's are sometimes silent, but we're uh, we're working on that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I just assume that everything I say is incorrect as far as the pronunciation and most other stuff too. But um, anyway, but, but yeah, as, as we did yeah. that other episode, that there's that Odin has two brothers. That's stuff. There's the stuff we know that's true, and the stuff we don't know if uh, Snorri knew what he was talking about. Yeah, Odin or like what, brothers. like like we definitely know that Snorri probably had to invent something just to kind of fill in the gaps. But yeah. um, anyway, so moving on from like the creation of the cosmos. Um, early on, like we're pretty sure that that's when the Aesir Vanir War happened. And for this war, we don't actually look in the poet Prosetta. I do believe it's briefly mentioned that a war was taking place. However, most of what we know is told in Voluspa from the Poetic Edda and then Yingling Saga, which is found in Hemskringla. Hemskringla is another work that was also written by Snorri Starlson. So in Voluspa stanzas 21 through 26. Um, Sansa 21 says, and again, this is the dead Cirrus speaking to Odin. I remember the first murder ever in the world when Gulveg was pierced by spears and burned in Odin's hall. They burned her three times. She was reborn three times, often killed, not a few times. Still, she would live again. And again, this is uh, Jackson Crawford's translation of the Poetic Edda. So Volusbump right here is mentioning that Gulveg, who the gods named Heath... <laughs> but also is probably actually Freya 
Um, and oh, David, I see you had a note here about and David's yeah. theory is that maybe it was Freya's mom, which would make sense why. So she was being killed multiple times, and then they had a war, and then later Freya gets sent to the um, Aesir. So if it's it's basically Freya, but it's not quite Freya, and we know that Njord is uh, married and has children with his sister. It must be Njord's uh, wife's sister, the powerful sorceress. So. Okay, awesome. I, like I think it. it's Nerthus because that's a powerful sorceress that Tacitus talks about being an ancient goddess. So this is David making things up, but I think also I'm right. <laughs> awesome. Um, but anyway, so like if like Golveg or, you know, potentially Freya or Heath um, as the Vaseer, as the Aesir caller, like this character knew magic and witchcraft. And this obviously like maybe not offended the gods, but maybe scared the gods. So they start a war with the Vanier after they in- unsuccessfully kill him, kill her. Um, so Odin lets a spear fly and then starts this war with the Vanier. And the actual quote in, in Volspa is, Odin let a spear fly and shot it into the fray. This was the first war ever in the world. The outer wall of Asgard was broken. The Vanir knew war magic and trampled the valleys. Um, so then we find out in Yingling Saga, again from Snorri's work Hemskringla, the war itself was evenly matched and ended with a truce in an exchange of hostages, one that involved Njord and his children Freyr and Freya going to the Aesir, and then Mimir and Homir going to the Vanir. So I like to think in my head canon that Odin's actions afterwards, like in the upcoming stories, mean that although maybe he and the Aesir were afraid of Gulveg's uh, power, which is savior magic, maybe after the war he grew intrigued by it, and this led him to be wanting to understand it a bit more, like he saw the power in this, um, along with maybe wanting to learn everything there was to learn. So I, I kind of look at this war the aftermath of this war, even though the Aesir like were worried about this thing that they didn't understand. And we, we see that this is pro- there's probably some uh, loose connection to today's world and people just being afraid of what they don't understand, what they don't understand. Um, but I like to think after the fact, Odin grew and he became open to trying to understand this magic and maybe like use it for himself to become more powerful. Yeah. And then my other theory is that, that maybe he captured the, the sorceress because he wanted to learn the magic. Right. And then, she wouldn't give it to him, so then he killed her, and then that leads to all the Saw that it was unsuccessful, yeah. Right, yeah. And that actually, I'm remembering now, part of my theory of why is uh, Njord married to Nerthus. I think there is some historical things that suggest those names are similar enough that was Nerthus originally a feminine a goddess, but that then was converted over time into Njord being a fairly feminine, masculine kind of, uh, you know, that idea that he's... Uh, He's not the most masculine of the gods, basically. Um, yeah. Something. I'm not the only person to think there's some kind of connection between the two of them. I'm just the only one who I think yeah. says, says that they're married. But maybe, maybe someone else agrees with that. I don't know. No, I have to go back we'll and listen somebody. to episodes when I was researching that. Yeah. But um, anyway, after the, uh, after the war, outside of the exchange of hostages, the gods like create this truce. The Aesir and the Vanir create this truce where they spit into this vat um, and thus forms the character of Cavassier, who is... A very smart being. He's created by the spit, spit of the Aesir and the Vanir, so he maybe has attributes that show the best of both worlds. He gets caught and killed by these two dwarves, and they use his blood to create the meat of poetry, which is then eventually taken by a group of giants. Odin gets wind of where the meat of poetry is, and then he finds it inside this mountain with um, Gunlod, 
this giantess who's protecting it. He gets in there via the snake form. He, he like, I guess, takes the form of a snake, goes into this drilled hole. He seduces Gunlod once he's there, and then he was able to escape with the mead in eagle form. Um, so again, I, I this maybe comes off as like Odin being a teenager. He sees this mead, like you can even make a case that he's not 21 in the United States and he wanted some alcohol. And like he's going in there, taking the mead of poetry because he sees its power. He seduces a giantess, and then he escapes. And then like on the way back to Asgard in eagle form, some of it falls out of his mouth and lands on, on Midgard. That now, he, uh, I, I just did a lot of talking. Does that make no, sense? No, uh, just my mind is completely distracted by uh, Odin becoming the the snake and infiltrating her uh, underground cavern. And um, I'll just yeah, leave it at that. You guys know where I'm going. But I and mean, then, like, yeah, he's yeah, and that you know, because Odin being the shapeshifter, right? Loki, the shapeshifter. That place I was always making connections between the two of them. It's not so far off. And then that it, it's interesting is yeah, he's you know he steals the he steals the mead. I know, something about Odin in the the form of the eagle as well. You know, it's, I mean, it, it makes sense. He had to become the snake to go underground. He's the eagle to fly back to Asgard, but something metaphorical and poetic there as well. And that idea of something with like poetry and seduction, and then the, also that you learn to speak poetry after he uh, seduces the woman. And there's some there's some some things here that are just interesting, right? Is yeah, it's they don't spell it out too obviously, but I you know, I make a lot of connections there. I don't think they're strange connections. Yeah, definitely. Um, so then we get we bring back the character of Mimir. Um, so Odin's uh, probable uncle Mimir, where Odin goes to his well, which is below one of the uh, the roots of Yggdrasil, and sacrifices his eye to obtain a drink from the well, which gives him wisdom or knowledge. So in chapter fifteen of Gilfaganin, it mentions that wisdom and intelligence are hidden at Mimir's well under one of the roots of Yggdrasil, as I mentioned. Mir is there, and he drinks from the well with the Gallarhorn, and he only gives Odin a drink after he sacrificed one of his eyes to be able to. Then in Voluspa, stanza 28, it says, I sat alone when that ancient one came to me, Odin of the Aesir, and he looked into my eye. What do you seek from me, Odin? Why do you seek me, Odin? Odin, I know where you hid your eye in the famous waters of the well of Mimir, but Mimir can drink every morning from those waters where your own eye drowns. Have you learned enough yet, Allfather? And I was saying that yeah, in terms of the order of the stories, we know this happened early. This had to have happened earlier than the war with the uh, Aesir and Vanir because uh, Mimir still has his head. He does not uh, make it make it successfully from his uh, hostage exchange. Let me see your thoughts, Sean, and then I had a comment. Well, no, no. In, in real quick on that note, um, so we like that's like another story when Honir and Mimir go to the uh, Vanir. Honier is like considered like this like smart bean, but he's kind of an idiot. But he gets all of his knowledge from Mimir, and the Vanir get pissed off because they feel duped, so they cut off Mimir's head. So yeah, which is like but, that's, um, no, that's he's he's the yeah. smart one. You should have just started talking to him. <laughs> yeah, I, it doesn't make it doesn't make too much sure, sense, but but, uh, it, but it makes sense if they were still angry from uh, having killed their queen uh, three times over. So maybe that's a little bit of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's there's they probably it wasn't all like rainbows and. And no. everybody's seen Kumbaya just because yeah. they exchange hostages and they spit into this bat. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, with, with this story, like, you know, what, like, what would you sacrifice to get what you want? And Dodin obviously wants knowledge and he wanted it so much that he was able, he was okay with sacrificing his eye yeah. to get it. And so like, I, I know when we discussed that episode, I think we, I think we talked about how like in today's world, if you want something, like, what are you going to go through to get it? Like, are you, 
going to sacrifice like your time and work 70 hours a week to make enough money to maybe be able to retire five years earlier or buy a bigger house. Um, so like that, I think that was the connection that we made, but oh, Odin yeah. was certainly okay with losing one of his two eyes to just take one drink from this well for the yeah. sake of getting this knowledge. That the, uh, this is sort of a part where it transitions from is it Odin's hero's journey or is it the shaman's journey? The idea that the, the shaman image often involves dismemberment and then going to yeah. the underworld, right? So this is down below the, the world tree or at the roots of the world tree. Um, there's also a theme that I'll probably mention now with this idea of, you know, Odin, right? He's the, the king of the gods, but he's getting the wisdom from the feminine uh, repeatedly through all of these, right? It's from the Cirrus for Volspa. It's from Gunlad with the meat of poetry. It's from that the the well and water being kind of feminine. And then Mimir is the, the mother's brother, right? Th- this mm-hmm. idea is, and it doesn't just mean from women, right? I mean, that's, that's the image, the mythological image, right? As the, uh, the guy kind of, you know, either he's slaying the dragon or he's capturing the princess or something like that. Right. But when I say masculine and feminine, kind of like with, you know, yin and yang, right. These ideas, just the uh, archetypal energies, not about uh, men and women of you know, modern society. And that something else I was going to say there. And well, the, no, the, the unconscious, and... right. And the, you know, the, the deep waters and the unconscious being feminine somehow but especially from a, a man's perspective, right? So it's men writing the poems. It's, you know, masculine psychology or dream images in a, a man's head. The women would write different stories, right? So that's, I always like to emphasize that it's not just me trying to be that biased. It's who wrote the poems and you know wrote them down, right? Yeah. And it's like, we also know in Boulder's drama, he went to hell to uh, get knowledge from a woman. Yeah. Um, you can make the case, like even in Grimness Mall, um, he learned a lesson yeah. about humanity after... Yeah like kind of like losing this contest well winning this contest to his wife but then realizing he lost like in in the long term so like you know i think there's something to be said there an interesting thought that just popped in my mind because this this is sort of you know as sean's saying right you go to the underworld and then there's a woman there right and why is she there right if this just pops up in your dream it's something very archetypal about the structure of the unconscious mind that that's what's there you go to the underworld there's a woman there i don't know why right Mostly because you're a man and you're not a woman, so your your feminine side is repressed to your underground unconscious, right? It's not conscious unless you're a very feminine uh, man. Then it's more conscious. But also that idea of right, the sky father and the earth mother, right? That's that's an idea from a lot of different societies, uh, pagan religions, all these different ideas. But as I was reading Robert Bly's book, he talked about the importance of the earth father. But apparently the Egyptians had this idea of a earth father and sky mother. And almost no other culture kept that. You know, maybe that goes back like to, you know four thousand years BC. Most cultures didn't keep that idea, but the idea of Thor being kind of the Earth Father, right? He's the the son of the Earth, and you got Odin up there in the sky, and of course Thor is thunder as well. But that there's something about Thor being kind of connected to the ground, right? And that's the thunder. Mm-hmm. You know, lightning comes down and it is grounded into the ground, right? Um, yeah. That. You know, because Thor is a very important god to the uh, the Norse as well, and this idea of you know him and Odin. Mostly, Thor goes on the hero's journeys, but we talked about there's a place where Odin went on the hero's journey. Just kind of something interesting there with them being two of the most important gods that we have the most stories of. But uh, yeah, yeah. Anyways, exploring some <laughs> of my own, I'm exploring some of my own ideas that come to me while we're uh, reading. So I might have more. I never know what you're going to say. I might have more substantial interpretations on what I mean by that later. But I'll just leave it there. Yeah. yeah. We can put it in the blog. Um, 
then there's also this other uh, story from the poetic era that we have not covered yet um, in depth, like with an episode. And um, I know David, you and I talked about definitely doing an episode on this, um, maybe even for like a fireside chat. But it's the story of of Vathruth in the small. Um, it's where Odin has his contest of wits or his contest of knowledge with the giant Vathruthner, and Jackson Crawford calls it the uh, contest with the Riddle Weaver. Yeah. Um, so to sum it up, Odin visits a very smart giant and they have a battle of knowledge that Odin ultimately wins. And he wins this by asking Vathruthnir what he himself, Odin, said to Baldur at Baldur's funeral pyre, which there was really no way for the giant to know. So the giant did not answer the question correctly and Odin won the contest. And the poem itself serves as like another great source of world building for Norse mythology. Um, but like, I do think it's just like another brief story that shows like odin maybe he wants to like show that he knows everything but he yeah. also like beats this very wise giant and i feel like there's like some form of him gaining prestige yeah. you know just from doing so like if you think about like boxing like yeah. like holyfield knocking out tyson or something or like you know somebody like it's past saying oh well this person is like one of the greats because they beat somebody beat one of the best if that makes sense so oh, yeah. i feel like odin this like allows Odin to like elevate if that makes sense. No, and I remember you talked about the, the contest with the riddle weaver so often in season one. And that's like, I can't believe we never actually did the episode on it. We just talked yeah. about it a lot that I think if we were as good in that beginning of season one, as we were like later, the way we did a uh, loca Senna and really did it up dramatically is probably what riddle weaver deserved. We just weren't that good at the time. Yeah, no, we should, uh, I don't claim to ever be good at this, but anyway, we should also just do one of our stupid voice things where uh, I'll be Odin. You can just, uh, dust off the pipes and do a giant voice again, just like you did with the Scrymere, but yeah, I, there, awesome. there's a subtle difference between my Thor voice and my giant voice, but um, I'll have to remind myself yeah, of what that your is. Your giant voice is just slower kind <laughs> yeah, of so. anyway. Um, but yeah, anyway, so also uh, Odin also hangs himself on a tree uh, to learn the runes um, or just, I guess, or not unlike the meta poetry and the power of verbal language, maybe the power of written language, um, which he primarily discusses in Havamal. And uh, he says here, I know that I hung on a wind-battered tree nine long nights, pierced by a spear and given to Odin, myself to myself, on that tree whose roots grow in a place no one has ever seen. No one gave me food. No one gave me drink. At the end, I peered down. I took the runes, screaming. And I took them, and I fell. And then later, in a few stanzas later, you find out about the spells that he now knows. Um, they're primarily kind of skills that you would learn in uh, Elder Scrolls Skyrim or like just any any fantasy game. Like one of them is the power of persuasion or seduction. One is like the power of like winning battles and like having magical weapons, controlling the weather, um, bringing people to life, um, and just like overall like the knowledge of all things. And that uh, I think I talked about this point mostly already, but just that you know, you can go back and see our old episode, listen to our old episode and uh, that I had the blog series on Odin and his shamanic journey, but that um, very powerful and I think meaningful dream images of that, you know, removing parts of yourself, right? What are the parts of yourself that you need to let die and then rebirth, right? So as we connect this to then things about uh, Ragnarok, right? That that's, that's a piece, the different dreams that go together. Yeah. I like that. And I think uh, part three of Havamal was one of our best episodes. Like in like this actually shows in like this data, like it's got like one of the highest, um, uh, yeah. oh shit. What's the stat that they use? 
people listen it, it, all the way through to the end, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I forgot average consumption. Well, that's and, what, and it's that, interesting because I feel like sometimes does. you know the part one would do a lot better, right? That people would be like, oh, if I if I didn't finish part one, I wouldn't go to part three. But that that this end of Havamal is one of the most powerful um, pieces in the myths. I think, yeah, yeah, of, of all the poems that there's a lot like Volspa. A lot of people really appreciate that, especially this part of Havamal. Um, yeah, I think are up there. And so I think. Um, if you think about that, like what needs to die of you to like for you to grow? And like we already talked about Odin's eye, like here he literally hangs himself on a tree for nine days yeah. and nine nights with no food. Um, so he like is sacrificing his like life force and his nourishment to like understand the runes. And then, you know, at what point, like maybe, and maybe this is something I will discuss in part three of this series, but at what point did Odin just need to let the idea of himself as this immortal being die? Yeah. Because it's obviously like his fear of Ragnarok and his fear of death is consuming him. So at what point did he just need to like break that ego death and say like, you know what, I'm going to die, but like, I'm not going to let that ruin the life that I have left. Um, So I I think, I I don't know, maybe that's like a loose connection, but I think that's something we should definitely explore. No, and it makes um, my my loose connections go to, um, right, to to Christ saying, if uh, if your eye offends you, cast it out, right? And that, you know, doesn't mean it literally, right? But someone got that image from somewhere, right? And does that image repeatedly come to the uh, unconscious mind? But of all the different sins, right, whether it's pride, lack of humility, things like this, some things I've been reading recently about really the importance of the value of humility to have any kind of hope at uh, benefiting from philosophy, right? That you cannot mm-hmm. learn philosophy effectively if you think you know everything already, right? And that that is a thing you need to get over. Um, not easy to let go of, but yeah, t- tying into ego death and things like that. Oh, yeah. I won't go too far off. Yeah. Interesting thoughts for later. Yeah. In, in the last poem that I, I mentioned, or the last story that I mentioned here was Volospa itself, which we've already obviously quoted a couple times in this episode. But the story of, of Volospa is that Odin awakens this dead Cirrus because um, he wants to understand her cosmic knowledge of like the beginning, the end in the cosmos. And I, I'm not sure if like this is like 100% confirmed. I, I would imagine it is, but I, I like to think that this is where Odin, in hearing about Ragnarok, is where he learns about his upcoming death or his imminent death. And like maybe that's what starts his existential crisis and he starts to panic. But I also love Volospa just because when he wakes, wakens the dead Sirius, she's obviously not happy that she was woken up from her eternal slumber. And like when she gives him this information, she'll like kind of troll him and saying, Oh, well, if you want to hear about your death, you know, I can, this is how you're going to die. Have you learned enough yet? All father. And I always think that's interesting. Are you you sure you want to learn more? And that, and that really reinforces how compulsive Odin is, right? That he cannot stop himself. (laughs) And he's like, I need to know more. It's like, you really don't want to, I need to know more. Right. That's a, yeah. An interesting thing as I'm, I was actually just finished, uh, Robert Moore's listen to old lectures on the, uh, the warrior archetype. And part of what he talks about is that the, that the archetypes are extremes and that one of the ideas that they're not friendly, right? That the gods are not your friends, that they don't care about you. They are extremes. If you get possessed by the gods, you're going to do all kinds of destruction and harm, probably ruin your own life, things like that, that you need to know how to relate to them, that they balance each other. That idea that, yeah, Odin's not a good guy, but it's not about that, right? He is extreme. And that's, uh, you know, how do you, see that part of yourself that probably is not as extreme as Odin, but then you need to see the extreme image to find, you know, the part of yourself that, uh, that lust for power that doesn't know when, <laughs> doesn't know when to quit <laughs> things like that. Yeah. Just like, well, imagine like if you, if like your 
growing up, like you're 12 years old and your parents have like a liquor cabinet and it's locked, but you, you want some blue label scotch or something because you think the scotch is going to give you a good time. It'll make you a man. That'll that'll make you a real man. And then you get it and you think you can write poetry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Not very good poetry, but you can write poetry because you're, yeah, you're divinely inspired, right? That's the whole idea. He drank, he drank drank the spirits and now you're divinely inspired to write poetry. So that's. Yeah. But I mean, that's like a very, maybe topical for people that listen. Like they're like, Oh, I'm going to steal some of my parents liquor. Um, and I'm not 21. And I know in like Europe, if you're listening from Germany, I'm pretty sure the drinking age is 16. Um, but like, you know, you're underage, you want to steal your parents liquor. And it's like, of course the most extreme version of that is, Oh, well I'm going to turn into a snake and tunnel through a mountain and like have sex with a giantess yeah. and just escape on an eagle. But then the, the lesson from Odin is, is don't do it. Kids do it the right way. Follow uh, Thor's Thor's journey to learn how to be a warrior. Don't be a, uh, don't be a snake like Odin. You'll regret it in the morning. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, David. So I, I think that's, that's like, those are the stories that I wanted to focus on, but I see you have some notes here. Yeah, no, was, those were the, the stories I was thinking of, you know, the, the start of Odin's journey. Right. And that uh, I, w- I was looking at it from the, the, the different poems. I always like really like the way Sean, you know, is going to find the the order of where the stories go in, right? What is, what is the timeline, right, of Odin? Yeah, with that and that historical perspective you have, right? Of when did each thing happen? And it's a really interesting question to look at it that way. That's not where my brain goes, but I like to look at that, and then it makes me think, right? Yeah, did he did he do all of these things, or are these the different versions of how he came to his wisdom? Um, that is, I was rereading a little bit through Volspa just reminded I'm really on this theme just because it keeps showing up right of the, the masculine, the feminine, right? Odin's the, the masculine God that there's a, a place in Volspa where she, she's uh, explained to him about the history of the gods and that there was a golden age of the gods before three women came from giant land. And I think we discussed, and it's, I think it's fairly widely considered, although you can't prove it, that they were the fates, right? That these three women came from giant land who were the fates and that the fates, because I think it does say in the um, Volspa that they were something like with powerful yeah. magic, right? But that their magic was mm-hmm. to control the fates of gods and men, right? And that, yeah. that is more powerful than the gods, right? Odin is not more powerful than fate. And the idea that, so again, right, it doesn't say this, but it's it's a, a bit of a parallel to the way in the Bible with Eve, right? You know, they, they blame the woman, but really it's the the snake. And also it's the guy's, you know, own fault, but he doesn't want to take accountability. But that... uh that there's something about becoming conscious of seeing yourself, right? Becoming self-conscious. And similarly, actually in Greek mythology, there's Pandora's box where all the evils and, you know, everyone could have had a good life if you would have left everything in the box, but you can't leave well enough alone. You get too curious like Odin. And now all of the curses on humanity are uh, loosed. But so this idea that the consciousness is the, uh, the idea, right? Is it, is it a curse or is it a gift to have, consciousness, right? To be, to be unconscious and to be on autopilot and not think too much. There's something that's actually nice about that. But then again, there's also probably a lot of problems that come up and you, you'll only realize them later. And, and that, that is right. That's, it's from the very start of Volspa and it's the beginning of Odin's eternal war against fate. And he doesn't know all the details of mm-hmm. it until he talks to the Cirrus a bit more. Yeah. And it's like on a, on a topical note, like I'm, I'm like stressed, like I, I'm not having a good time at work right yeah. now. Um, and it's funny because like, I'm trying to tell myself like right now, like I am so consumed with everything about work that even after like work every day, I'm thinking about it and I'm like worried about the next day. Like every day is like kind of like the Sunday scaries for me. But like, I know for a fact that like 
let's say I live to be 80 and I'm on my deathbed, I know I'm going to look back to this moment and be like, you fucking idiot. Like, why would you let that consume you? Spend so much time worrying. I think like with everything. Yeah. yeah, Like, and I know I could go on autopilot. Like I could just be like, all right, well, I'm going to like numb my senses, like maybe have an extra glass of wine and just play video games every night, as opposed to like taking the steps to get out of my current situation. And I think there's just that balance of like having that consciousness about the situation and like, or trying to numb it, if that makes sense. I'm not sure if that's what you were getting no, at. No, well, it, it ties, there's all kinds of ways to see it. And it ties into actually to the idea of mindfulness and that by practicing mindfulness, you become more conscious, you become more aware, you become aware of your own thoughts. And it is that question, right? Can you just keep pushing it away and keep pushing it away? And it's like, I'm at home, so I'm not going to think about work yet. It keeps creeping in, right? Or do you kind of stop and look at it, right? Or maybe there's something by as I'm starting these groups, I'm actually doing a good job finally of practicing my own mindfulness and meditation practice every day. If I'm going to teach it, I better be doing it myself, right? <laughs> Lead by example. That that somehow through meditation or mindfulness, you gain the skill that lets you just be a little more present in the moment, right? So when you're at home, you're just at home. And it's easier to let go of, say, the distraction from work, right? It's a subtle difference to let it go versus pushing it away. And how do you do that versus the other? It's a mental muscle you train in your brain and try to get better at. But uh, it's a very good question of, yeah, is it really, is it true that you let it go and it's not bothering you or are you repressing that and pushing it away? And it's yeah, building up and uh, bubbling over. So a very yeah. important question you bring up and not, not easy, but the idea is that there's something you have to practice. You can't just be like, I'm not going to worry about work. And now I'm not worried. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> Yeah. And, but maybe like if we are, if we do like look back to like our early twenties, yeah. like late teens, like we all had our own issues then as well. Like they're just not the same issues, but like, that's where I like look at yeah. Odin being in these, these stories, he's trying to, you know, become his, the, his most best self. Yeah. Um, and like, that's something like, I think even like in our mid thirties, like we're trying to do as well, but it's definitely just like a different approach. To I, it, I, think I think the idea, if you live your life very consciously, very intentionally, you probably will have less that you regret, right? That you stopped in the moment and you thought what's important and what do I want to be doing right now? That will be a thing that you don't regret, right? And when you, yeah, all the time you spent uh, yeah, uh, intoxicated playing video games, it's like maybe that wasn't what I wanted to be doing, but I like to play some video games. Yeah, too. yeah. But like, I, I don't know, like maybe, and this is like us maybe talking too much about like all myself or ourselves, but like in our mid thirties, like we know that we're never going to be as like, I don't know, maybe it's like, it's setting in that we're not going to be like going to space and being the first man to walk on Mars or like accomplish the goals that we wanted to. But like, maybe it's just being accepting of like, we can still be our best self. But like, I kind of look at Odin, like he was there. He wanted to be the most powerful being in the universe. And maybe for a time he was. So like, I don't know, that's just kind of like my, well, and then as you, as you are touching on that part of kind of reaching midlife, I mean, whether 35 is midlife or not, or, you know, are you living to hundred, right? But, but there's something that you get over, over some kind of hill. Maybe there's multiple hills and that idea of learning to die. Well, right. You start looking at the point of not what am I building up to, but okay, I got to a pretty good spot now looking downhill and what do I want to do mm-hmm. in that time? Right. And that's to meditate on your death is then to value your life. Right. And that's actually the idea. It's not morbid. It's not awful. It's to really appreciate life a lot more. If you keep thinking yeah. you're never going to die, then you're like, I got plenty of time. So why, why do I need to do that today? I'll do it tomorrow. And that is actually really tied in. I don't know if you had read ahead to my notes, that part of, you know, that there's something about with this, this consciousness. And then it's, you know, the, the gods had no worries. They were immortal. 
but now they have to worry about fate, right? And that the idea of you know humans being mortal is that you know is that unfortunate, right? Oh, we wish we were gods and we were all immortal, or is that immortality actually kind of a curse as well, right? That's like Sisyphus who has mm-hmm. to push the boulder up the hill for eternity, and it never ends, right? It never ends, and every day is the same, and none of it means anything. So that meaninglessness of not having oh, yeah. a endpoint, right? Um, yeah, the idea of immortality scares the hell out yeah, of me. Yeah, then maybe that's worse, right? And yeah, the, the, the Stoics, uh, I was actually just reading, it was Epictetus, I'm pretty sure, where he kind of talks about this question, right? Of, you know, because pe- people don't like this idea of, you know, why can't, you know, every, why can't life be good? And if, if God loves us, why didn't he make everything nice for us, right? But the, the Stoics very much say that if the gods could have created us as immortal, they would have. But since they didn't, that means it's not possible, right? So it's sort of that idea, well, if it was an all-powerful God, couldn't they do whatever they want? But that to be human and to do human things, right? To interact with other humans, by nece- you know, necessity, you're limited. If, you can't do everything you want to because that would impinge on other people's rights and freedoms. And even that idea that to, you know, to love is to fear loss, right? If you don't have that fear of loss, and if you don't love somebody, you don't really care much about whether you lose them or not. Right. And that that is a human experience so that the the pain and the death is necessary for life to be worth living um, is a common idea. But that the myth is getting at that here. Maybe we stare at the myths too long, read into them. But I think so. If we stare at the myths too long, they're going to tell us whatever we want to hear at that moment. It's whatever you need to hear. Right. So that's exactly (laughs) fits. Yeah. Odin's a snake. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, what does that mean for me? Let me look at the look at the time here. That uh, there's another thing that, in, as I look back to Volspa as well, as they talk about, you know, there's the, the arrival of the three giant women. I think it was especially in uh, uh, my translation by Carolyn Larrington. She mentioning that somehow this kind of, you know, this leads to the creation of the dwarves. And it's not entirely clear why, but the dwarves weren't there. But after the three, uh, three fates or the three giant women arrive, then we have dwarves. And they have the, the dwarves really kind of represent this idea of like resentment is certainly my interpretation, but I think that fits the idea that they are really unhappy with their lives. They're very lustful. They're never happy enough with what they have, uh, things like that. And then reminds me of the story of Cain and Abel. And as I've read some real interesting, uh, John, what's your recollection of Cain and Abel? How do you take that story from what you know of it? It's okay if you don't know much of it. But. Uh, they were They were the sons of Adam and Eve. And by the way, I did buy King James James's Bible, but I haven't started reading it yet, just to kind of see what it's all the fuss is about. But yeah, they were the sons of Adam and Eve, and it's like one of them got greedy, and I think it resulted in the death of the other one or something yeah. like that. I forgot. It's it's a really interesting story because it's a lot of people don't like the story because it's the two brothers. They, you know, God says bring me a sacrifice, and they each come up with the best sacrifice they can come up with, and God's like, Abel, you did a great job. Cain, I don't like your sacrifice. I don't care for it. And it's like, why is God so mean to him? And he, then he gets so angry that, you know, he, he tried his best and it didn't please God, but then he goes and kills his brother. And so, you know, some interpretations are like, well, really, that's kind of on God for, you know, being like, you suck. Your, your, your sacrifice is no, you tried your best. That's not good enough, right? Or needing sacrifices to be yeah. with, yeah. But one of the uh, recent interpretations I read was the idea that, so part of it was that Abel was a um, shepherd. So his sacrifice was a sheep and Cain was a farmer. So he brought the fruits of the land, some crops and the idea that from a old culture that was all about being shepherds. And then that Cain invented the idea of agriculture, but that upset the old way of doing things. And that's why it wasn't good enough that he sort of 
probably seemed like a magic spell to, I'm going to control the land and what comes out of it and playing God with crops, right. Is a, yeah. a way to take that. That's not just God is, you know, um, fickle and likes to make people suffer, but rather it's a little bit like Odin trying to think he, you know, knows too much. Uh, yeah. Anyways, just the, the things it takes me to when I, when I read back through Volspa, um, do you have any other thoughts, Sean? I got just one last, one last idea. To- no, no. I think I think this is a pretty good episode. Um, just to kind of see, like, to kind of revisit Odin's search for yeah. knowledge, or just like bettering himself and becoming as, like, just being his best self and like becoming more powerful. I think it's a pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a pretty cool way to start this arc. That the uh, that our Havamal series, I think, is really is, still stands up pretty well. So anybody who hasn't listened to that, go back and take a listen to the Havamal part. And the, the one thing that though from Havamal where I wasn't thinking as much about those, uh, you know, king warrior, magician, lover archetypes that the poet, right. He's really, you know, Odin, the poet giving advice to the young poet is really the poet is the lover archetype. Uh, so as we get to Freyr and we're like, we don't have a very good image of the the lover. Like, well, maybe it's the poet. Maybe it's a uh, Lord Fafnir. Uh, the young poet is a good, a good representation of the lover. And this idea of poetry, magic spells, you know, the runes being, symbols right and as i think i've said in that before that the uh learning to understand symbols is learning to understand the images in your dreams right when you get a weird image in your dream well it's a symbol of something and i wanted to share a poem just because we're talking about poetry and i like robert Bly, but i haven't read a lot of his poems so i'm like i'm gonna go find a robert Bly poem i don't know i get weird connections when i'm preparing for the show at uh you know 11 o'clock at night <laughs> but um just a, a modern poem to kind of go with you know the the, all these things we're reading, they're myths, but really they're poems, right? And that was that was interesting to me when we started doing this podcast. I didn't expect that, that Norse mythology is poetry. Yeah. And I never used to read poetry, but now I'm a guy who does a podcast about ancient poetry, right? So <laughs> I'll just share this poem and just I'm curious your thoughts, John, or we'll just leave it as this as a way to close. Uh, so it's by Robert Bly. It's called, sure. I am not I. I am not I. I am this one walking beside me whom I do not see whom at times I manage to visit, and at other times I forget. The one who remains silent when I talk, the one who forgives, sweet, when I hate. The one who takes a walk when I am indoors, the one who will remain standing when I die. That's a poem. Yeah, I think it's, um, yeah, I think it's like, I, I, I opened up the yeah. link as well and I kind of read along yeah. with you. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like he's talking to his conscious or his ego um, and it's like, I don't know. I feel like let's say somebody like, like let's say any of us like really fuck up somehow. Let's say we we make a bad decision and we ruin something or like we like, we like lose somebody that we love because of it or something. I think, um, I don't know, maybe that's not the best reaction, but like, I think like if you fuck up, did waste two months by drinking too much wine and playing video games when you should have been doing something more productive, you can still look within you to forgive yourself. Um, and to like not be too hard on yourself. So I feel like he's kind of referring to like not Jiminy Cricket or something, but just like yeah. his, his conscious or like the ability of ones to want to like look within mm-hmm. and like realize that you can be better and it's okay if you're not perfect. And, and maybe it's to his soul as, as I read the stoic philosophy and that question of what is the structure of the soul and what do we even mean by soul and can we think about it or is it just a uh, kind of a, a woo-woo magical concept or is the soul as some aspect of consciousness and unconsciousness, a uh, useful thing to think about. Yeah. That if, if I, if the ego is I, then uh, who is this other one? And am I the soul or am I the ego? 
So you're saying, right, all these things that the ego does, and is that who you are? Or that's that's what your ego's doing, but then who are you? Hard to put it in words. Like you can write a, you can write a like bunch of pages though. about it, but what is it, about uh, eight lines there? Very, very well put, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Anyway, Sean, we like to get deep on this show. I hope that's what uh, everybody's here for. So. Yeah, no, definitely. I think this is a good episode. Um, so I guess in part two, we're going to be discussing um, a few, sto- maybe like two or three stories on Odin and him uh, just getting involved in the affairs of mortals and other gods. So that's good. Be fun. All right, Sean, have a great day. You Bye. as well. Bye. Thank you for listening to Between Two Ravens. If you've been enjoying our show, please write a five-star review on iTunes to help spread our podcast to a wider audience. See the show notes below for links to follow us on social media. Our podcast is part of the Walled Garden Podcast Network. The Walled Garden Philosophical Society is committed to the pursuit of truth, wisdom, virtue, and the divine, wherever it might be found. Visit thewalledgarden.com to learn more.